Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier, I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today we're going to walk you through the latest edition of our wine club. Uh, today in the studio we have a, uh, an old friend of ours, I feel like we've known each other for quite a long time now, uh, maybe you want to introduce yourself and let us know what you do. Sure, uh, my name's Aisha, I'm the sommelier at Dean House, I also, um, as of recent, have been working at Market Wines as well, uh, I just can't get enough of the wine world. Um, and I recently just got accepted into the advanced sound program for CMS. Nice. Yeah, that's a, that's an intense program for sure. Uh, very different from my wine education background in the sense that there's, there's a serving component, correct? Yeah. But that's the part that I'm the least worried about. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Like that's because that's what I do every day. Like I I feel like I'm really fortunate because, um, some jobs are so far and, few in the restaurant industry yeah. now like it's always clumped together with other things so but I get to do that every single day so totally <laughs> yeah. yeah that's something that I think Calgary could definitely benefit from is more people running wine lists this is the thing that I always tell people they're like oh where do you go for a good wine list how do you know what place has a good wine list and I was like it's a place with a wine director where it's not just like somebody's job like somebody's like additional job yeah. who doesn't care about wine, who doesn't have time to write a wine list, who's just like, yeah, cool, I'll just list the first three things that come to mind. Those are our glass pours. So it's it's cool to see places like Dean House actually invest their, you know, their time and, and you know, choose dedicated staff who are excited about running a wine program. And, and so, yeah, it's definitely uh, worth going to, uh, to Dean House for those reasons alone. Yeah, so, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, we'll jump into the first wine. I'll maybe give a brief description and then we can chat a little bit about it. Sure. Um, so the first wine, uh, Ryan Sturm, Kick On uh, Vineyard Riesling. Um, Kick On Vineyard is located uh, in Santa Barbara County, so Southern California. What makes this site really interesting is it's super coastal. Um, what's interesting about Santa Barbara is that the, the uh, essentially the valleys run the opposite direction of everywhere else in North America. Uh, so it actually runs east-west, which means that all the cold ocean air is essentially getting funneled into these vineyards. Not only that, but this is a really sandy site. Um, it's really exposed. And so essentially, you know, even though this is Riesling, uh, you know, a great variety that you'd normally see grown in the coldest climates, uh, you know, whether that be Germany, Austria, etc., the Okanagan, um, it does really, really well in this area. Uh, it's one of my favorite wines every single year that we get it. I think it offers incredible value and it just has this like oceany sort of quality to it. Um, as far as I'm aware, you are also a Riesling fan, which I think is a prerequisite of, of being a song. Um, maybe you can tell us why you like Riesling so much and, and why you think it's a very useful grape. I think I just love it because it's so refreshing you know, after like a, a long day, I want a glass of Riesling. When I'm having uh, breakfast and I have a day off, I want a glass of Riesling. Like mm-hmm. it's going to go with everything. It's so versatile. I love spicy food and I most of the food that I eat or cook for myself will um, like be spicy or like a little bit more salty. So I feel like um, Riesling offers like a full range of if I want a dry Riesling or something with a little bit off dry. Like I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you drink many Rieslings from places outside of maybe the classic regions? Like, do you drink a lot of Australian Riesling, for instance, or anything like that? No. It's strictly German. It's strictly German. It's really funny because um, uh, I have a wine uh, group that we we taste together once a week, and 
we um, are getting a bit more specific with the wines that we'll like we'll bring up each person brings a bottle and we'll do a blind tasting and um, a couple months ago we did Riesling from outside of Germany yeah and we all just came to the conclusion that this is why we drank German Riesling <laughs> <laughs> like it was Fair. they were all kind of missing something yeah. like they're missing that minerality or they're missing that like really high like punchy in the face acid and I like that's what I look for yeah totally that's the really interesting thing about Ryan is that he is very much dedicated to Riesling in the sense that he makes three different uh three different Rieslings uh from California as well as his rosé is actually 98% Riesling uh with you know two percent Zinfandel blended in because he's like I just want to drink Riesling like that's all I really like drinking um but he's also very much of the mindset that it's from California. It's it's going to be a different thing. It's not going to be the same as Germany. There's no way of getting that sort of level of acid. So he started asking the question, like, what should California Riesling taste like? What does California have to offer to sort of the, uh, you know, the spectrum of flavors that are that are possible and specifically within Riesling? And so he's like, I almost like to think of it more of like California white wine than I do like Riesling because it's way more interesting in that context than like comparing it to, you know, Egon Mueller or something yeah. like that, or AJ Adam or, you know, whoever it happens to be. Um, so yeah, I think this is a really interesting sort of example of what Riesling can do in an entirely different climate with an entirely different flavor combination. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm digging it. I, this is a wine that I always really like every year. Um, this is the ripest vintage we've had. So this is 13.1% alcohol. Um, Ryan actually uh, studied in Austria. So his, I feel like his Rieslings are like way more Austrian style Riesling, like those fuller, sort yeah. of more intense, a little softer acid for sure, but still, again, quite refreshing. Yeah, like crazy intensity. Um, I feel like I love getting other people's sort of tasting notes on things because, you know, I obviously get in my own head and I write a ton of tasting notes and everybody hears my tasting notes all the time. So it's always nice getting somebody else's perspective on what things actually taste like. So I don't know if you have a, if you want to walk us through this wine, uh, sure. as, you know. Yeah. And I just wanted to touch back on what you said that Ryan was trying to, or look at what Riesling in California would look like and imagining it that way, like just thinking of the sun there mm-hmm. and um, when you have an after Riesling, like this more tropical notes that you don't necessarily get in like a bone dry Mosul Riesling. Totally. And that's what I was expecting. And it's uh, I know I'm jumping ahead with um, like aromas and uh, flavors, but I definitely get like a lot of mango and pineapple. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, on the nose... If I, if I did get this in a, um, like I did, like if it was like a blind wine for me, like I, I know with Riesling, like I'll, I will kind of look for that Petro smell, but there's Mm -hmm. also almost like, um, uh, like a, like a muted lime kind of waxy note that like Riesling will have too. And I feel like this has that, um, on the nose. And then, but then of course, like the, like the tropical notes do jump out at you, but you have Mm -hmm. to kind of look for that lime, but I, it's definitely there. Yeah. I get like so much like fruit loops. Yeah. Yeah. I can see fruit (laughs) loops for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really sort of 
that like candied kind of uh, like lime kind of vibe. Yeah, like that yeah. artificial lime. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah definitely. Margarita mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting too because it is quite soft on the palate. Uh, I just pulled up some some tech information yeah. here, and this is sitting at three point two nine pH, which is actually quite high uh, for riesling. Often riesling is is you know we see examples that are as acidic as you know two point nine to three point one pH versus this is like you know sort of quite a bit higher. This is more in sort of the range of what you'd see you know, sort of minerally Chardonnay coming in at as far as, as uh, an acidity level. So it's really interesting to see it uh, from a Riesling perspective. Yeah. And it's still, it's still quite high yeah. acid. And totally. I know it's, it's my first wine of the day, but it, <laughs> like, I, I would still classify this as high acid. And I like that it has, um, like a, like a little bit of like a, a bitter or pithiness to mm-hmm. it too. Like, yeah. and that lingers, it's, um, it's nice because it had it, like going into it with all those ripe fruit flavors. Um, it has that, but then it balances that with something a little bit more complex. So yeah, yeah. the site is notoriously windy, and I think what that ends up doing is creating these thicker skins on on the actual grapes. And I think because of those thick skins and the fact that he usually does like um, you know, like a twenty four hour to thirty six hour cold soak of the grapes once they've been crushed, I think that definitely brings out some of those phenolic characteristics. His whole goal is to do that so that it doesn't oxidize, um, so you end up with a lot of freshness. But in order to do that, you need to, again, extract some of these sort of more beastly fla- beastly flavors, or at least textures, I guess. Maybe not necessarily flavors, but yeah, I like the style a lot. It's it's fun. And again, great value. Like This is retail price is like somewhere around 33, 34 bucks for organic, you know, nothing added. 120 cases produced that's it so it's super small production from a really legendary site so yeah i think for bang for buck it's it's definitely one of the best uh, it's yeah it's good if someone brought this when we were blinding non-german rieslings i feel like this would have been like a favorite totally what were some of the standouts from that just out of curiosity oh god it was so long ago now um i'm trying to think uh i think the standout was was Tantalus Riesling. I was going to say. <laughs> but then we all are so familiar with that one. So mm. it was like really easy. Like I, I love Tantalus. Yeah. And, oh, so um, Yeah. And they're uh, like, I, that would be my go-to Riesling like outside of Germany. Yeah. But yeah. it was um, it was really good. And I, I don't think anyone brought like an Austrian one. There was um, one from Australia um, and... I can't remember where someone else brought theirs from. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I, um, no, you know what? Mine was from Austria. That's a lie. I wasn't working at market yet and, uh, I got them to pick out something cause I was, I was by there. So it was one that I hadn't tried before either, but it hmm. was, um, uh, it was an Austrian Riesling, but it, again, like, just like, like being a little bit like softer with acid, it just yeah. didn't feel as Riesling like totally yeah yeah I think it's yeah Austrian Riesling is is tough only really the best producers make something that's sort of worth seeking out from a Riesling perspective like you you have Knoll uh, or Knoll depending on who you're you're talking to (laughs) for pronunciation uh Altzinger is like absolutely spectacular but honestly I I don't really see them that often I I think Trialto brings them in but they're they're very expensive but they're really they're really very delicious uh, Hedler makes a really delicious yeah, Austrian Riesling. Yeah. yeah, I think those are 
kind of underrated. I, I think a lot of the other wines in that's uh, salivate. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, she did such a good job. She does such a great job. But I think like that wine gets lost in the portfolio, despite the fact that I think it's the probably the best wine in the portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody likes all the really sort of like fun, playful stuff from from Bergenland. Obviously, her stuff from from Styria is like really delicious. Those yeah. Sauvignon Blancs. But I think Hedler is like. That stuff is is baller. Yeah, for sure. we have a, a case of their Gruder that I just use on like the tasting menu, and mm. it's not even on the list. But people are always like, "What is this?" And it's nice. just not a grape that they would know. But totally. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I guess like work question here is um, obviously creating a wine list, and Dean House has a very specific clientele. Like it's very different from you know who you'd see at you know Model Milk or at, at Proof or you know name any restaurant in the city I feel like it has a very specific clientele um how do you take your own sort of personal ideology of wine and and what you really like to drink and sort of marry that with uh the people who you have coming through the door and uh yeah I guess like what's your ideology for curating a wine list yeah so one of the reasons like the or the the big reason that I wanted to work um for like the River Cafe group um one was I was continuing my wine education. I'm like, this is the perfect place for me. But I also really care about climate change and sustainability. And mm-hmm. both restaurants have like a huge um, focus on that and a huge focus on, um, on like local, sustainable, having good relationships with farmers. Um, I view wine in a very similar way. Like it starts with the grapes. It starts from the vineyard. It starts with the people growing the grapes. So... Um, I want to work with producers and importers who like know the story of the wine and the people who are making it and why that's important and like something small scale where it has like a lot of love going into it and it's better um, for the environment and just more sustainable overall. Um, so that's uh, those are the wines that I'm definitely more drawn to um you know we we cook with food at the restaurant that um doesn't use pesticides and doesn't use like hormones and meats and all these things like we really care for the producers we work with so i feel like it it should be the same way with the wine Mm -hmm. like what are people adding into the wine um and i like obviously there's been a bit of a learning curve but um i find that most people um as long as the wine tastes good and then they're really happy and open to what the conversation is you know like I don't ever like come out like the list doesn't say anywhere that it's mainly like biodynamic and natural organic and it and it is um but like the people who are coming in they're looking for that name recognition so you know um I'm good like they're I'm going to look for like a, a natural burgundy producer or yeah. someone. And, and there's so many, um, and people forget that are like, um, great places of great people out of like California, right? Like some mm-hmm. people really love Californian wine and there's so much interesting things to offer. So, um, uh, like as long as there's something that is a little bit like recognizable for them, totally. uh, people are open to it. And I find it's just like kind of building the trust with the clientele too of like um if people are ordering like 
uh, like the Sturm Zinfandel, for example. Yeah. Like if I have um, a couple of people in the restaurant that I've never interacted with before and I see them order that and if they look like they want a very classic representation of yeah. a Californian Zinfandel, I will go over to that table and totally. just say, hey, I noticed that you ordered this and I love this about this wine and this is why I have it on the list like this is what I think it goes well with is that the style you're looking for or were you looking for something a little bit more like this and then I can just you know suggest maybe a grape that they haven't had before from a place that they haven't had and move like yeah yeah, and keep them happy with that and I think people really appreciate that so Yeah. yeah I always tell people too that it's like when people ask you for something super specific like they're like hey, I would like a Napa Cab. What they're not asking for is a Napa Cab. They want the flavors and the experience that a Napa Cab offers. Yeah. And so if you can be like, hey, like, like it's great that you really like that. Um, I have another thing that you'll really like that delivers all those things that you want, whether that be dark fruit, you know, oak, a little bit yeah. elevated alcohol, uh, still freshness, you know, florality, like I actually have a wine that's going to do that. Like, do you want to try that instead? Yeah. And people are usually a hundred percent into that. Like they're into the, the flavors. They're not necessarily just into the place. Some people are definitely into the place uh, and that's fine. And that's, you know, that's a whole other story. But again, it's always so exciting introducing people to things that they're, that they're maybe a little less familiar with. Yeah. And even um, like this year, because in the past we've done natural wine dinners um, mm-hmm. with you on Valentine's Day. And then this year we decided let's just do um, the whole, all the pairings as natural wine pairings. So yeah. like out of, from, we picked like different wines that we work with um, and uh, d- just like didn't really even promote it as we're doing natural yeah. wine pairings. Like, um, uh, but that was like the intention and that's, uh, you know, I gave like really detailed tasting notes to all of the servers and so many people were um, just like really into the conversation and kind of blown away with it. Like, what do you mean um, this wine is natural? What are wines that that aren't natural and yeah. like, <laughs> or, or cool. Like I didn't know you could get a Chateau Nifted Pop that was like made sustainably or, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know you could get Samuel from California. Yeah, <laughs> and, definitely. Yeah. So, and just people really enjoying what they, what they had. And like so many people took photos of the wines that they, that they were drinking and yeah. Yeah. Like, or like, where do I go buy this? And then it's like another conversation of like, you know, um, you should go to Vine Arts or you should go to Bricks. Like, mm-hmm. those are the places that would carry wine like this. Okay, well, yeah. the liquor like depot by my house won't have it. Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> they Probably won't. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting thing is that I, I think that, honestly, on a restaurant list, if you're looking between, you know, anything over $60 on a restaurant list, there's no reason for those wines not to be organic anymore. I think that there's an option mm-hmm. for everything. Uh, you know, again, whether you're looking for Rhone, whether you're looking for California, whether you're looking for Burgundy, whether you're looking for Rosé, like whatever it is, I think that for like $60 on a restaurant list, uh, you know, a song who puts in, you know, any amount of work can find a great organic option. Uh, and so, you know, that's just sort of like, it's it's easy to just put your money where your mouth is, I guess, in that case, where it's like, we believe in this thing and it's so easy for us to do uh, without compromising the experience of the diner, uh, 
we don't have to flaunt it. We don't even have to put it on the menu or anything like that. We don't have to brag about it. We don't have to whatever. We can just do it because it's possible. Uh, and in fact, it's, it's, it's quite easy now. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're so lucky that the wine world has been so uh, willing to make these changes. Obviously, we still have a lot of work to do. I think grapes are still the second most sprayed thing on planet Earth behind uh, citrus fruit. Uh, so it's like, we're still not perfect for sure, but it seems like within the wine sphere, you know, I think Shadow DKM just converted to biodynamics this year, uh, or not this year, but the last year, year before? I can't remember. Maybe it was a couple of years ago now. But it's like, they're biodynamic. Uh, you know, I think Oprion did the same thing. Yeah, and there's so many, like... There's so many Bordeaux producers where it's shocking, but they've been biodynamic forever. Like, yeah. like um, uh, I want to say, oh God, why, why is it? Uh, like Ponte, uh, why is it? Ponte Canet? Yeah, Ponte Canet yeah. is fully biodynamic and they have been for um, a, like a few years because yeah. it says so in my wine atlas, which is like not the seventh edition, I think yeah. it's not the newest one. Yeah, it's not um, even current and they're like, they're still biodynamic. They're still yeah. biodynamic, yeah. yeah. And it's like, great, I can I can sell this on my list for X amount of money and there are going to be people who want to come in and they want like a big, um, like, or they want like a, like a big name Bordeaux and it fits in with what we're doing and it fits in with what, they want so totally yeah. I, I think that that's amazing that's like again it's a it's an easy nothing to do and obviously i think those bordeaux producers are doing it for more than one reason uh you know the fact that they're not really like overly overly advertising it i do think that they think that it's going to increase the quality which i certainly believe that it does and there seems to be more science coming out being like if you farm biodynamically, the chances of you having more complex wine is is greatly elevated just because of the diversity of microorganisms in the soil, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think a lot of these producers are doing it like purely for quality reasons, and it just happens to be really amazing from uh, you know an environmental impact. Yeah, totally. So I'm I'm fine with whatever their their reasoning is. Yeah. Uh, we'll jump into the second wine here. So this is Dormalona. Um, Dormalona, one of our favorite producers, uh, our friend Josephine Perry. Um, this is from her line called Yokel. Uh, the whole idea behind this line is that she wanted to represent uh, the Swan Valley, which is located sort of adjacent to uh, Margaret River in Western Australia. This is one of the first areas that was planted in, in Australia. Uh, and it sort of went through this major boom in, I think it was the 1920s. And the reason for that was essentially they, they found uh, things worth mining. Um, and so this area exploded and became really, really popular. Since then, uh, it's essentially collapsed and you don't really see a lot of wine from Swan Valley, especially not high quality wine, but uh, Josephine really sort of believes in this region and the fact that it should be represented. So even though she's in Margaret River and her original um, wines all came from Margaret River, now she has a side project called Yokel that is you know, focused on the Swan Valley. Um, this is uh, like 70 year old bush vines uh, that are that are I believe dry farmed in like one of the most hot like the hottest region yeah. currently planted in Australia uh, and so these vines are doing like incredibly well 
Um, Grenache can obviously ha uh, handle a lot of heat. Um, and then the other thing that's really cool about this wine is that uh, the other impetus for starting this project is uh, to save the Western Australian uh, swamp tortoise, uh, which is the most oh. endangered, uh, I think it's the most endangered reptile in, in uh, Australia. And uh, Josephine just became like obsessed with these little guys and has done everything in her power to, uh, you know, sort of help with conservation efforts, whether that be through donations via this wine. Uh, so some of the profits of this wine go towards conservation efforts. But she has also like physically done the work as in uh, reintroducing um, uh, tortoises that were bred in captivity back into the wild and, and you know, physically doing the work. Um, so every year there's a tortoise on the label and usually it's a tortoise in 1920s garb because they had the crazy fires uh, essentially in the the habitat of this tortoise. They've decided to have like a 1920s firefighting tortoise uh, on the label, which is very adorable, but also uh, this really amazing ode to, you know, obviously the brave people that uh, that, you know, helped save this this limited habitat for this, uh, you know, very endangered species. So it's pretty cool in essentially every way. Uh, <laughs> so, plus it's Grenache, which I, I am a not so secret lover of Grenache. Yeah. So, um, and it's, the label is the cutest label I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I know they're ridiculous, right? They're just so good. Uh, yeah. Her artist, Sean Whalen, uh, he lives in, uh, in Japan, uh, with his, with his wife, who's Japanese. And, um, his art is just like unbelievable. I follow him on Instagram and have like, you know, I'll creep his website every once in a while. And he's just a very talented artist, uh, both in these sort of caricatures, but his actual uh, paintings are like these super surrealist landscapes that are all sort of geometric shapes, but they're very alive. Uh, it's, it's a very weird, uh, weird style of art, but I absolutely love it. So uh, Grenache. Do you want to give us sort of like the rundown on, on Grenache? Uh, maybe give us, you know, sort of your thoughts, what you think about the grape, what sort of is unique about Grenache or, or less unique about Grenache. I don't know how you feel about it, but... <laughs> I, I do like Grenache, and I feel like it, um, to me, usually has like this like wild quality to it, um, where like there's always like a lot of fresher fruit, but then you get like this um like bit of like leather and like that kind of tobacco-y mm -hmm. note that can that can be there um and I like with this where it is such a fresh like like the color is so is is like very bright but like very also very pale yeah. and so um you can tell it's not going to be like a a massive version of a Grenache like it's not going to be like mm -hmm. a like a blend from southern Rhone, you know yeah. but um it has um instead of like tobacco there's almost like something like shrivel where it's still green and herbaceous but like a like more like a little bit of smoke to it yeah almost in a way and kind then like the chicory like, yeah, yeah yeah totally and then the um the fruit is like i just keep smelling purple lollipop or like <laughs> popsicle like that kind of yeah <laughs> yeah like grapey yeah like, like grapey exactly grapey. yeah yeah for me like the the telltale sign of grenache for me is always strawberry yeah i oh. smell strawberry in so few wines but strawberry is like is one of my favorite things like yeah. strawberries are starting to to sneak out right now and i'm like 
you know, I, I'm all for eating all of them. Uh, and so, yeah, I always find Grenache has this like little edge of strawberry that I find very, uh, yeah. very pleasing. I find if I get it at a blind tasting, it, to me, like I'll first think maybe a Pinot Noir, but then mm-hmm. with like more structure and um, like le- like a little bit less acid. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't reach that for me, then I think it's I think it's usually Grenache. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is a cool example too, in the sense that it's twelve and a half percent alcohol, so it's like actually mm-hmm. quite light but intensely flavored. Um, yeah, like really not messing around from a from a flavor perspective. Mm-hmm. Grenache also has this nice kind of like creamy quality to it. I find where it's you know it's definitely got some gritty tannin to it, but at the same time there's this sort of um, sort of viscosity to it that that's really kind of nice that that just seems to be a Grenache thing I don't know what it is about Grenache maybe it's like pulpier uh something like that but it it definitely has that characteristic to me the color of this is crazy though yeah it is I keep looking it's beautiful yeah it's like super like lip glossy yeah yeah um all right so diving back into into you um maybe you can sort of shed some insight on sort of your uh, rise to, you know, the world of being a sommelier, uh, you know, so where you started in the industry and, and, and maybe what convinced you to pursue this, how you went about pursuing it, and then sort of, uh, you know, obviously the challenges of doing that in Calgary where there are so few positions and, and you know, it is a, a young wine drinking city. Uh, and so, yeah, maybe, maybe sort of like a beginning of career to end of career sort of synopsis. <laughs> sure. Um, so I have been working in the restaurant industry for like nearly 12 years, I want to say, like a long mm-hmm. time. So since I was in university and at that time it was just, you know, the easiest way for me to make money but working the fewest hours possible. And, um, and uh, I started... Uh, once I like started working downtown and started working like um, places that were like um, more like I want to call them like standalone restaurants like not like not corporate and mm-hmm. um, then I just started to see wine as like a sales tool mm-hmm. uh, okay so if I want to make more money I need to sell more wine and yeah. I need to sell more expensive wine so and I and I wanted to, and I was so confident like as a young server I was so confident to be like yeah you should buy this $300 bottle of wine it's great I love it um but <laughs> never had it or never tried it and yeah. um one of the things that I hate in the world is looking stupid like I just I'm I'm terrified of it so I yeah, would just boat. like be like okay well if I want to sell these if someone asks me a question I'm gonna need to know what the answer is and um and then I actually just fell in love with wine because um I thought it was really cool like the more I learned about it that okay I can get like um a gamay from this place in the world and it tastes like this but then there's this place called Beaujolais and then there's all these different crews and they actually all taste different and yes. why why is that okay it's it's a lot of it to do with like where where it's from geography winemaking like there's so many different factors that go to it so it almost felt like 
like a puzzle like mm. what are the what, like what's creating this recipe of wine or like what's what's um causing this to be in my glass and so I started to get like more interested in wine that way but um uh so instead of it just becoming like a um, a way for me to increase my sales it turned into something that I actually became passionate about yeah. um and then I started to work for um like a climate leadership program in Alberta and I um I was just really getting more and more concerned about the environment and food security and especially like working in restaurants like what what are we doing to um, to preserve the planet and what kinds of products are we using? Where do we spend our money? All that kind of stuff um, started to get really important to me, and um, that shifted how I saw wine, like not just in the glass, but like where it comes from in the vineyard. And I wanted to know more about that, um, and I ended up moving away to Ottawa, and um, uh, I worked at this was this really great restaurant group there, um, like the Becta group and. Uh, the owner of the like Steve Bechta, he's um, a sommelier, and I was reading a book um, before I left about wine and food pairings, and um, he had this quote in it about service that I really like. I just really kind of jived with, and I was like, "That's cool." I when I move there, this is where I'm going to work, and um, there's just a bigger presence in the East with CMS versus W set, mm-hmm. um, and I only had such. I felt like, well, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have the, like, I can't imagine in my schedule carving out time to, like, go to a weekly class. Like, I'm just really not there yeah. in, in my life. But um, I was interested in studying about wine, but still not ready to take the leap because I was um, working part-time as a server, uh, or as a server, as a yoga teacher, and I was um, an immigration consultant mm. because in um, after my university degree, I got a immigration law certificate and I became a consultant. So I was focusing on that and I was like, I'm going to do this for a year. And I absolutely hated it. And I just had to really acknowledge the fact that I love restaurants yeah. and I love food and wine so much. Um, and here's this thing that I'm super interested in. And I always want to know more about, so why don't I just start learning about it? So I um, moved back and I did WSET 2, which um, was great. Like there was a lot of stuff that I um, didn't already know, but definitely some things like, you know, just from working in restaurants that you start to like learn or just like learning on my own. Um, But the CMS program still kind of um, excited me because of that service component Mm -hmm. and because of the ability to be able to study on my own in like the middle of the night is more my my learning style so it worked better for me and um uh it was actually really awesome because when I decided that I wanted to do that program I was getting and even in WSET 2 like you know you have to study and you have to know what an oaky chardonnay tastes like and I had no idea what an oaky chardonnay tastes like because I never drank one like yeah. I didn't grow up drinking so or, or my parents didn't drink so like I don't know what a shitty riesling tastes like like I don't know what baby duck 
sparkling wine tastes like. I know it's a yeah. thing, but I, I had no like concept of it. Like I um, didn't make a lot of poor wine choices because I only started drinking wine in restaurants and in very like curated, curated restaurants. So, yeah. um, and I worked at Model Milk at the time and like that wine list is awesome, but there's such few classic examples. For sure. um, and especially at that time too, where it was like, I'm, I just need to be exposed to more um to like a bigger seller and to um uh like the opportunity to to sell to a specific clientele and and all of that so um moving over to river was like a was that step and then um yeah I finished my I got certified in November of 2019 and um I was already a manager at river and um and then I took over for our friend Kevin um yeah. at Dean Hess when he when he moved but that was definitely like the biggest learning curve like mm-hmm. I, I feel like I am better at learning in like an academic sense but then actually being mm-hmm. on the job is totally yeah different for sure yeah it's not like um they can stimulate like a service but it's not the same yeah like most people are incredibly scared about wine and mm-hmm. incredibly scared about looking looking stupid when they're asking a question or not knowing the answer and so yeah. I feel like wine has become um like something to be really gentle with yeah 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 and that's the thing too that I, I always tell people is like it's it's uh it's not very useful to know what the minimum al- legal alcohol percentage of Amarone is uh, when you're serving somebody. Yeah. Like, it's great to know that information from sort of an academic perspective and our own personal interest, but the second that you're actually, you know, presented with somebody who wants to drink a bottle of wine, that information is less useful to them. And so trying to, you know, pick out your brain, you're like, cool, I know 7,000 things about this wine. Which ones are the ones that are most relevant to this person? Uh, you know, we... we I haven't talked about this in a long time, but we talked about it a lot, maybe a year, a year and a half ago, is the idea of like removing ego from service mm-hmm. and being like, am I telling this person this information because I want them to know that I know this information or am I telling it to them because I think it's going to improve their experience of this wine? And making that decision, uh, you know, from outside is a very challenging thing to do. Uh, but I think that that's one of the ways of having best the best service. So it is really interesting sort of, uh, you know, trying to divorce, uh, your academic experience from, you know, having the best level of actual service in a particular restaurant that has unique customers from any other restaurant. Uh, every experience, every table is going to be different. So it's, it's really interesting sort of tailoring those things. Yeah. Yeah. You'll totally like, we'll get people who, you know, um, are like they'll sit down and they'll be like what do you, what orange wines do you have and they've never had it before or they're they have or you know they're like super keen on one style of wine and then we'll have people are like where are your Malbecs like in the, like that I would have more than one yeah <laughs> if I was gonna put it on the list but um, yeah <laughs> or just lots of you know like where where are the wines that I'm familiar with and starting to um, recognize that but I would say like two out of 10 of all the guests will actually ask those questions and the rest will um, like you really have to just make yourself available and you just have to build 
trust mm-hmm. with them and you know be able to talk about like the beer and be able to talk about cocktails and be able to yeah yeah totally yeah the idea that a sommelier is like it's so much more than the person who deals with the wine it's like somebody who curates your drinking experience over the course of the evening yeah uh, everything from you know making sure that your glassware is polished appropriately to wine being served at the right temperature to being presented the wine in a way that makes sense for them to get maximum enjoyment out of it whether that be them being able to see the label them being able to see the cork you know whatever that experience is so it's yeah being a sommelier is is definitely a lot more than just choosing wines and I think that's uh that's one of the things that's exciting that's what I like about the CMS program is that they do really emphasize that uh which I think is cool yeah so yeah. yeah totally uh we'll dive into our last wine now so this is like a modern classic in my opinion uh this is a Sonoma Bordeaux blend um, you know, uh, more than 75% of the fruit is coming from Sonoma. There are a couple of vineyards that are outside of Sonoma, including Mendocino County. Um, but most of the fruit is coming from within Sonoma, from a handful of vineyards that our friends Shant and Diego um, uh, are farming. So they, they actually do the farming for these sites, not just the uh, purchasing of grapes and then, and then winemaking, which is really, um, you know, they're just great farmers. Like that's the thing that they're known for is being incredible farmers. Uh, people like... Um, you know, Rajat Par purchases fruit from them because he's like, these guys really know what they're doing. Uh, you know, uh, Tegan Pasalacqua uh, from, from Turley Wines purchases fruit from them. So it's, they have a really amazing resume of people who believe in their farming. And so this is sort of them cherry picking certain vineyards and then blending them together to make something that they believe is sort of a great representation of what um, a Bordeaux blend would be like from California, especially during sort of the 1960s before everything got really uh, technological. <laughs> uh, they're going back to that old school style. So this is 12.8% alcohol, no new oak at all. Um, it's mostly Cabernet Sauvignon, but also Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Zinfandel, and then a tiny little bit of Chenin Blanc, oh, uh, which is very weird, but it's, it's I want to say it's like 3%, so it's not even really worth noting. But at the same time, it's, it's nice to see them being a, a little bit quirky with their decisions here. Um, yeah, Les Lune Wines, uh, named after, uh, you know, everything that they do based on the cycle of the moons. Um, but yeah, really, really fun style for me. Very... I don't know, obviously very purple. Uh, <laughs> it's got some serious color to it, even though it's it's not dark in color, it's very intense. Yeah, it's super intense and like very purple. And, but the, there's still like some like flecks of red to it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, or ruby, it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their wines have been so delicious this year. I've been really excited about everything that they've released. Um, we got in some, some straight up Sonoma Cab, from them as well too that is first of all just like incredibly well priced you know retailing for 40 bucks like somewhere in that neighborhood for uh you know organically farmed um super small production cab and this like again same deal this retails for about 38 bucks we only got enough of it for the wine club so we've honestly just been hoarding it since we've received it which was in I want to say November, but we weren't able to fit it in the wine club until now. So it's like, honestly, this wine club has been waiting to be released for so long, but we just, it was just a timing thing. So it's so exciting that this is finally going to be the collection that everybody gets this month. Um, Yeah. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on the, on the wine? It's so good. Um, On the nose, uh, I got a lot more like herbaceous, like savory notes. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like, um, 
like a like a like fennel seed almost um, totally. savoriness, but it's still like uh, maybe some, like a little bit tart in a way. Um, and the fruit, like the full gambit of what you would expect from like a cab dominate a dominant wine from yeah. California, right? Like it has um, a lot of like uh, like blackberry blueberry notes like some jam like a almost like a, a jammy quality to yeah. it um uh and but then on the palate like the fruit is so um fresh and like yeah. uh it like and there's this really nice light quality about it right like the tannins are are there but they're super soft mm-hmm. and um they have this like great acidity to 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 not let them linger mm-hmm. for a long time, which I totally. think for, um, uh, I'm going to say like for people, for the, those of us who love like Riesings, for example, right? Like I don't like a big tannin, tannic wine. So this, this is kind of perfect where it gives me that bit of chew, but yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's really interesting lately. I, I seem to have fallen into a bunch of extraordinarily tannic wines and, um, I forget how jarring they are, how reliant they are on food in order to sort of balance that component or food or age, I guess, as, as a wine ages, its tannins will in theory decrease. Um, but honestly, having the right pairing with something tannic is just so essential yeah. versus this, this is, again, it can kind of go either way. It obviously has the, has the, uh, freshness and the structure to go with food. Um, but I could also kind of just crush a bottle I, of yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> me too. You know, and this is the kind of wine that, like, I crave on a cold day. And I know, like, we can make fun of drinking white wines only in the summer and, yeah. red, and red wines in um, the winter. But when it is really cold, like when, you know, the Chinook automatically disappears and all of a sudden it's, like, minus 30 degrees and mm-hmm. you still weren't prepared for it. Like, I want something like this that does have that like savoriness to it that has like that little perfect bit of grip to it and Mm -hmm. that I can um enjoy without food yeah like I would definitely have this on its own like it almost reminds me of a Loire cab a franc like it and I I'm always searching for that like yeah yeah, so I, I love it yeah one of the really interesting things that I remember talking with them about in Oh my goodness, when was it? 2018 was maybe the last time I hung out with them, which is crazy to think about, but obviously with not being able to travel, that's kind of the way it is. But one of the things that we talked about was making wines for the climate. So not just adapting to the actual climate, but if you think about places in France, like they make wines that make sense to drink them in the place that they were made. Provence making rosé, for instance. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like Bordeaux and then having like, uh, having, you know, Bordelais sauce and, and things like that. You're like, yeah, this goes with our culture's food versus, you know, 14 and a half percent alcohol cab that's super oaky and a little bit sweet. You don't want to drink that when it's 40 degrees in California. Yeah, you want to drink something that's like a slightly chilled red that you can have with a pizza on the beach. Like, and that's where I think they do a really good job is, is what we, we call bistro wines. Mm-hmm. These wines that are like designed to be friendly, very approachable, very versatile. They can go with such a spectrum of things in such a spectrum of, of climates. And so it's like, yeah, California winter when it's like, you know, it's still five to 10 degrees outside, a little bit breezy, a little bit cool. 
like this is the kind of wine I, I want to drink maybe like on a patio like you know, yeah kind of vibe a hundred percent yeah 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 good good al fresco bottle yeah uh, for those for those sort of colder california months yeah yeah fun style um when it comes to wine pairings uh you know i've i've preemptively written pairings for all these for the newsletter but what's sort of your methodology when it comes to to pairings obviously cms has a little bit more of a focus on pairings versus wsct does not really have much of a focus on pairings so i was wondering if you can maybe walk us through how you think about wine and food pairings is obviously that's something that you do a lot of in your in your job yeah um uh and i I think like i'm always going to think about service first and so i um I tend, like, if, if somebody asks me, like, what should I have with this fish that I'm having or with, with this item, I also try to get a sense of, like, what they like. Yeah. So I think that's really important, too. But for the tasting menu, for example, um, you're having five courses and you're sitting down and five courses of food can be a lot of food for people. So I want the wine to always be, like, uplifting Mm-hmm. like something that um, gets you ready for that next bite. Um, and so it serves as like a, as a palate cleanser. Um, and, but I lo- like, I also love when something is rich on the tasting menu, maybe picking one course that has like a little bit more richness to give it a wine that is more rich or more structured to like just, you know, stand up to itself. Um, so like the tasting menu I definitely see more of like as a, as a journey, <laughs> I would say, like, yeah. you know, it's like, um, there, there's a, there's a climax and it should feel different, like course from course. Um, yeah, but like, but with these wines, like it's, um, it's interesting, like the red that we're drinking right now, just cause it's on, like it, it's in my palate right now. And I'm thinking about it. Like I, I would definitely have it on its own, but I could see it with like, you know, like, uh, like if we had like the tataki um, mm. from or like like a wagyu tataki from um, totally Sukiyaki Sukiyaki house. House. yeah yeah and like this I would I would <laughs> like sure. have this is it like you know something with like um, a decent amount of fat still mm-hmm. um, but not kind of yeah, yeah but like um, but not overwhelming and like we're at, like you want acid with that dish and yeah. this kind of gives you that brighter totally. tone to it too or um, so like kind of looking at like what. If here's a perfect dish, but what could make it even better? Mm-hmm. And then what flavors can you pull out of a wine to add that? So if it's yeah. something that needs acidity, like bringing in a higher acid wine, or if it's yeah. something that needs, like maybe oomph, bringing in something with yeah. some oak or, yeah. Do you start with structure when you think about pairing, or do you think about flavor first when you think about pairing? P- flavor. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. I'm. Uh, it's hard. It depends on what it depends on what it is because I like yeah. I I think acid is so important um when you're thinking about pairings mm-hmm. because some food needs more and some food needs less and um as any home cook will know you know it makes or breaks your dish if you're adding some lemon to it or if you've added yeah. lime versus lemon or you know you've you picked the wrong um the wrong acidity to bring into it, whether it's salt or um, uh, even the difference between salt and soy sauce, right? Like it's like yeah. that. I think that structure really does play a, play a role in it too. But um, I think it depends on what 
the dish is. Like if mm-hmm. I can't buy, and I haven't had a lot of things that I've been like, that my chef has put out where I've been like, I have no idea what to pair this with. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I haven't, I've been, I think like, because you can look at it both ways, right? And you can look at something that's going to contrast to it or something that's going to add something or be completely different. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. I don't know. That's a great so, answer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's totally yeah. fine. Um, cool. Well, like, I, I I think the last thing that we'll maybe talk about before we wrap this up uh, is uh, something that I always found really scary when I was first getting into wine, which is uh, figuring out a wine list when you go into a restaurant. Honestly, I can remember, you know, six years into working in wine and going into a restaurant and being like, I don't know any of these wines. I'm freaking out. What do I do? Uh, do you have any like tips and tricks for, for diners on, on how to uh, navigate a wine list, any things to sort of look for? What are sort of your, uh, you know, Swiss Army knife wines where you're like, if you see that region and you don't know any of the wines, maybe that's something you'll go for. Um, yeah. What's, what's your sort of methodology for, for figuring out a wine list? You know, if I try to look at like what, um, like the understanding some things that I like, like I'll use, I'll use my partner, for example, because he has, um, uh, like, doesn't have very much to, to none uh, when it comes to wine knowledge, but he has a palate. So he knows, yeah. like, he knows flavors and things that he likes. So, like, I've taught him the word Beaujolais, and that is what he likes. Like, he likes the, he likes the Gamay. Um, but I find that it's, like, the first thing you should do, I think, when you look at a wine list is see how it's laid out. Because... Um, some, the, I think it's pretty, I don't know how common it is, but some, some wine lists are definitely laid out by like price, like lowest to highest. And maybe that is a very important part for what people look at. Like they start with price, but, um, like our list, for example, um, is laid out in, uh, like lightest and freshest styles to heaviest styles. So mm-hmm. even asking that if you're, if you're, not familiar, but if you have some wine knowledge, you'd probably be able to tell, okay, um, here is like the Sauvignon Blancs are right here. And then at the very bottom, I have some Viognier. So maybe, maybe it's, um, set up that way. And then finding grapes that jump out to you that you know, whether you like them or you don't like them, and then moving away or closer to that grape on the wine list. Yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. Like if you hate no, Viognier, totally don't yeah. pick the one that's right above it. Like pick the one that's far, <laughs> far away from it. Or, yeah. 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 Or like, you're like, I sometimes like Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and then honestly, just talking to people about yeah. it too. Like, um, I, I wish that people would be more comfortable talking to their servers or talking to, um, if there is a sommelier on the floor of, um, this is what I'm, this is what I'm looking for. Um, what do you like? Or even asking like, how, how's your wine list laid out, you know, and getting that information. Um, I, I've definitely been to a lot of places where I don't know like a single wine on there. And I pick, I pick regions and I pick grapes from that region like if it makes sense to me or if I find it really interesting if I'm like oh I've never had like um this grape from this area before Mm. like I'm going to be adventurous about it but I don't know 
Yeah, <laughs> if everyone else would want to. I feel like most of our yeah. listeners. Are I feel like yeah, I feel like this is a good crowd to say that. Yeah, so like pick yeah. pick something that just excites you, and yeah. you know, um, and you don't have to order it right away and like talk to the the person and um, like. I feel like it's becoming more and more common for most restaurants to do like wine training to some mm-hmm. degree. And um, I hate like this Vivino apps or. Um, oh, I despise them. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I will look at, like, I will Google a one and I, and I will look at like how how it's made or I'll look at the producer and, and see like how, like, you know, do, do their ethos of making wine fit into what I like to drink and yeah. if so there's probably a really good chance that they're making wine in a style that I like it yeah yeah I think that way too where it's if a if a winemaker is incredibly is, is the level of thoughtful where they're taking those efforts in the vineyard they tend to be pretty good at translating that in the bottle as yeah. well it's that level of you know a lot of people for a long time just said yeah, the reason why biodynamics works is because they're just working way harder. It has nothing to do with biodynamics itself. It's just a very labor-intensive thing, so you get to know the vines really well, and you're just like putting in a lot more effort. So therefore, the wines taste better. Uh, you know, I think that that that's not the whole story. Now that we understand the science behind it a little bit more, but I also think that that's true to a greater or lesser extent, where it's if a winemaker is willing to put through the effort of farming their vines in this extraordinarily meticulous way. Uh, you're going to have wines that taste good more often than not. Yeah. You know. And ask, like, servers what they drink. Yeah. Because that's the thing. As, like, as staff, we hoard the best stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, or the weirdest things. Or, like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you don't see something that you would be interested in, let ask. Like, like, I like something like this because maybe they're like me and they have it tucked away um for their (laughs) friends yeah (laughs) Yeah. for sure yeah definitely cool well we're getting sort of close to an hour here oh wow uh is there anything else that you would like to talk about or mention or you know any sort of like shout outs you want to do or anything like that before we uh we close it out no, I don't think I have anything. If you end up coming to Dean House, please come say hi to me. I'd love to to talk. Um, but otherwise, no. Or market wines. I'll yeah. Say. Yeah. I'll be yeah, there. that's exciting too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go. Uh, yeah. Go visit the crew at Market Wines. They're uh, all very knowledgeable. It's like kind of an all star all star team these days. It's uh, it's really great. Like yeah. there, it's it's so many. Um, yeah, so many like really knowledgeable people. Totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of cool wines that you can't get anywhere else. Too. Yeah, lots of exclusives. Uh, so that's also uh, another really great reason to go in there. But, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come hang out today. Uh, I feel like we've been trying to organize this for a very long time, so it's so <laughs> yeah. exciting that it's finally happened. I think everybody will be very excited to listen to this. Um, if anybody has any additional questions about the wines, feel free to reach out. My email address is eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. You can check out our website, www.juiceimports.com, uh, or send us a message on Instagram. We're just at juiceimports, all very easy, all very streamlined. <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully we'll get to drink wine with all of you in real life soon. Uh, chat with you next month.